Welcome back to another episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Corey Jason here, and as per usual, joined alongside Ben Mandel and John Pauline. Got a show chock full of uh, stuff to discuss, so let's get right into it. Saturday night, Texas's Adolis Garcia became the 14th player all time with three home runs and two doubles in a game. Almost had a chance to uh, hit four home runs in a game. That would have been a sight to see. He also ended the game with eight RBIs, so just an incredible night for him, especially because he was struggling quite a bit. The Tampa Bay Rays set the record for most home runs in the consecutive games to start the season at 21. They're also a perfect 12-0 at home really making it tough to be a fan of an AL East team, knowing you're starting the season in such a deep hole. The Pirates, team that many people saw coming into this season as just a very poor team, you know, possibly one of the worst teams in all of baseball, they've had 12 quality starts in a row so far. Manager uh, Derek Shelton, after signing an extension, credited uh, Austin Hedges, the catcher, with really uh, showing how he can – men both the veterans and the uh the younger guys in that rotation and kind of get everybody on the same page pitching well so the pirates have been one of the nice early stories this year and i'm rooting for them young fun teams are very fun and easy to root for rowdy tellez has killed the boston red sox time and time again it's something that's kind of flown under the radar if you will because rowdy tellez on the brewers he was with toronto for a while but like nobody knew what he was and how he was doing against the Red Sox until kind of this weekend. But career-wise, he's hitting 336. That's 37 for 110 against them with 14 home runs and 29 RBIs. Tellez doesn't have more than eight home runs versus another team in any other uh in any other game. So just something about the Red Sox really gets rowdy going, gets him rowdy. And I, I like it. Maybe the Yankees could trade for him and get him on there to kill uh, to kill Boston. One of the biggest things that come out of this past week, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this too, Max Scherzer getting suspended 10 games for uh, violating the rules, sticky stuff rule. He had it on his hands. He said he swore in his kids. It was just sweat and rosin. But the league said it was one of the stickiest things these guys have ever felt He's the third pitcher to be suspended under the, under these rules, which was implemented a couple of years ago. And uh, everybody's been uh, chucked out by Phil Cuzzy. So maybe it's a Phil Cuzzy thing. Maybe Scherzer was cheating. Although, why would somebody at his age, you know, want to throw everything and kind of hurt his reputation by getting a little extra tack on there? Especially because he had to change gloves a couple times. It's just a really weird situation altogether. Yeah, and here's the thing with Scherzer. I don't think Scherzer believed he was doing anything wrong. I think he thought just because he had an excessive amount of rosin that he was okay. But the rulebook clearly states that rosin, if it is deemed an excessive amount, like the umpires did in this instance, can eject him. They gave Scherzer a chance because, again, you are told you are not allowed to have rosin on the glove. They made him switch gloves. That should have been an immediate ejection there, but they gave him a second chance, and when they saw it on the second glove, that's when they said, okay, you're done. I don't think Scherzer thought he was doing anything wrong. He may have just not known the rules completely, but that's unacceptable as a veteran player. He's lucky his team won that game. 
But now a 10-game suspension, that's two starts Scherzer will miss uh, as well on top of this as uh, he now has to deal with the suspension and a Mets team that is already dealing with issues in the starting rotation and the depth. So not a smart move. Definitely need to know the rules better. And I put that on Buck Showalter as well, because I think Buck Showalter didn't think Scherzer was doing anything wrong either. And that's the bigger issue. Your manager needs to know. The players, your veteran players need to know. They were talking about how Scherzer wants to go and work with Francisco Alvarez, but you go and get ejected early on in this game. Alvarez now has to work with the bullpen. So problems there. Scherzer, even though he may not have thought he was doing anything wrong, was 100% in the wrong and does deserve this suspension. I mean, even if it is against the rules, it's just a ridiculous thing to be suspended for because you're still using rosin, which is a legal substance in the MLB. And it's like, even if you have a rosin buildup, it's like, so what? I mean, every other pitcher, it happens and stuff. It gets on gloves and stuff. And I don't think it's that big of an issue if it's legal. It's either like the MLB, it's either, it's either has to be illegal or it's legal. I don't think you can't it's just because you're giving these um too much power in deciding on what's what, because maybe, maybe it is just Phil Cuzzy. Maybe another ump would have thought that would have been like an okay amount of rosin and stuff and would have just let it go. I just don't know. I think the MLB is just, they're focusing on the wrong stuff with rules. And I think this is just one of the least of their worries right now. I don't know. There's something about it that just strikes me weird. Why is Phil Cuzzy the only one to have ever thrown out a pitcher for this? Cuzzy's a local guy. I don't want to say he's a Yankee fan because that makes me look bad, but just something about the situation just isn't right. Scherzer shouldn't have to be thrown out. Maybe what Scherzer did was wrong, but is what he did any different from what we talked about last week with Domingo Herman and the Yankees? I mean, I know that Scherzer had it on his glove and they made him change his glove, but also they made him wash his hands. And we know for a fact that adding rubbing alcohol, which is what he used, he used hand sanitizer to his hands with the rosin, well, as it dries up, make it even stickier. So the umpires, in effect, in a way, kind of made Scherzer get stickier stuff everywhere because they made him wash his hands with a solution that is known to actually make matters worse and not help. It's like you have a like an oil fire, right? And again, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not a scientist, but when you have an oil fire, you don't want to put water on it. You want to smother it. If you put water on it, it'll actually make it bigger. So they kind of added water to an oil fire and made the situation much worse than it really is. And that's something that the Major League Baseball needs to investigate. Why is a guy like Phil Cuzzy throwing out pitchers? Why is he the only one? That's not a coincidence, at least not to me. No, I think that there may be something underlying there. And maybe Phil Cuzzy's the only one who's taking it seriously. There could be all of it could be that all of the other umpires in the league just don't care as long as you're not using pine tar or spider tack or any of this other stuff. And it is just rosin. They're letting it slide. And, you know, it is interesting to bring up the whole Domingo Herman thing. Maybe, you know, they just gave him a little bit more leeway because it was Rosin. And Phil Cuzzy, on the other hand, is strict and follows the rules to a T. If he's the only one throwing guys out, I think that's more likely the more likely option and reason why. It's going to be interesting to see how things move forward from this situation. 
I hope nothing uh, happens and comes of this on Scherzer's part, but the league needs to look more into it and not just defend umpires blindly, especially when there's no recourse in the media. They don't have to talk. They don't have to say anything. So it's, it's just shady to me. But in other news, Drew Smiley of the Cubs had a perfect game going into the eighth inning and on a, uh, a swant, a swinging bunt pretty much, ground ball to him. The catcher, Jan Gomes, collided with him after trying to get out of the way, knocked him over, and he was done. That was the, the first hit of the game. Just a heartbreaking way to see a perfect game end. Not the worst way we've seen it happen, but definitely a really tough one to swallow because it wasn't a hard-earned, hard-hit, well-earned hit. It was just a soft contact grounder to the pitcher that just happenstance forced into being a hit. Madison Bumgarner was DFA'd by the Diamondbacks, so I wonder what team's going to sign him. He's still owed $34 million by the Diamondbacks, so they're going to have to pick up the tab. Liam Hendricks, White Sox closer, cancer-free. You'll love to see it. We talked about him a couple weeks ago, saying that he was done with chemotherapy. So this was the, you know, thankfully the next news that we saw coming out of him. Hopefully he'll be back on the Diamond soon, shutting down teams. Pirates, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they uh, promoted 33-year-old rookie Drew Maggi, power-hitting infielder, and uh, he's a veteran of over 1,100 minor league games. Hasn't touched the majors yet, bounced around between six different teams. This is actually his second stint with the Pirates, who drafted him in 2010, the same draft that they actually drafted Jamison Tyone, who's bounced around the league a little bit now on his third team. So... That's, you know, just nice to see. It's going to be a short, short stay up here. He's only up because uh, Brian Reynolds is on the bereavement list. So it's a minimum three days, maximum seven days. Made room on the 40 because G-Man Choi with his Achilles injury was sent to the 60 day. Choi will be back in June or July around then. But enough time to get Maggi his cup of coffee. And hey, he's officially a big leaguer. The last thing though I want to talk about as we move on is... The Oakland A's will end up becoming the Las Vegas A's. And I just feel really bad for the city of Oakland. I'm not a fan of teams moving and stuff, especially when it's not necessarily the city's fault. It is Oakland ownership who put nothing into the team, making a lot of money. They were the most profitable team last year. And just, hey, ditching Oakland and going into to Vegas I, I just don't see how the owners, the other owners, with any type of like, you know, common sense and common decency, don't call this guy out and get him out of the and get him out of the owners' club. Yeah, this is a huge, huge problem. And the Oakland Athletics, we've talked about how poorly run and ma- and uh, managed they are on the field and just with what they put out there. It's not a competent group of players. Then you have this. They go ahead and they purchase the land to build a stadium out in Las Vegas. Now, obviously nothing is set in stone, but I think what Mark Davis, owner of the current Las Vegas Raiders, former Oakland Raiders, really sums this up. And he said that all the athletics are doing right now is quote unquote effing the Bay Area. He claimed that 
you know, they've been using this rooted in Oakland mantra to keep themselves on the lease and gain leverage to go ahead and get the land in Vegas for this stadium. Yeah, they've been wanting a stadium when they shared the stadium with the Raiders in Oakland. They both wanted a stadium, but they refused to let the Raiders build on it. They kept squatting on this lease and then refused to let the Raiders make any kind of improvements because they wanted the Bay Area all to themselves. And then when they have it, they just up and leave. Absolutely atrocious, horrendous stuff from the Oakland Athletics and good on Mark Davis for calling them out. Do the athletics get all the blame or, or do you blame like the city of Oakland too? Cause this is, this is going to be what their third team and what is it? Five years that left Oakland. They lost the, they lost the warriors. They lost the Raiders. Now they're going to lose the athletics. It's a lot more complicated than that. The warriors just went across the Bay to a more wealthy affluent area, which in its own is a different conversation. So they didn't really leave the area. They're still the Bay Area team. Oakland is in the Bay Area. But the Raiders were forced to leave by the A's pretty much because the A's weren't going to have the Raiders basically build that new stadium. The Raiders were tenants of the A's. And while it is scummy for Mark Davis to even comment on the issue because there's a lot of bad blood between him and the Oakland uh, area, it's more the Oakland ownership and front office that's causing all these issues. When Oakland was making those playoff runs and just in general, the last few years, their mantra was rooted in Oakland. And obviously roots, they're not rooted there. Those those roots weren't strong because they're just ditching them. So you can say it's an issue with Oakland. If you want, maybe them not wanting to pay for the uh, new stadium, but I don't think that's it. I think it's really just Oakland ownership saw what the Raiders were doing and wanted a piece of that pie. And they're still not going to invest in the team, even in a better area. So it's going to be the same old A's just with a new color scheme and a new city. And really the people left in Oakland are kind of the ones left to kind of find their own way. And I hope a lot of them become Giants fans. It's right across the Golden Gate Bridge and don't keep supporting the A's because now the A's will have to figure out and form a whole new fan base. That's the thing. I just don't understand how you can walk away from a fan base that has been so loyal to you when you haven't given them anything in return. And I mean anything. This is an ownership group and an organization that has literally just spit in the face of their fan base for years, and then they turn around and pull this. It's just really atrocious. Are they going to have any fans when they move to Vegas? Or is it just going to be like a ghost town at the games, like just empty seats everywhere? Because I don't know, even if you like, you're a baseball fan, I don't know if who would want to be a fan of this team after all they've done and how they treat their fans. I'll tell you, Vegas has done very, very well with the Raiders. Granted, I know it's not that far from Oakland, but they've done very well with the Golden Knights as well when they were an expansion team. So I'm not too worried about fan bases actually growing in Vegas, but they're going to lose a good portion of what they have right now. As they should. But let's get into some injury talk. Right? We got Sandy Alcantara from the Miami Marlins. He's got mild right biceps tendonitis. He was scratched in his most recent start, but he's expected to make his next start next week. But it's something to monitor because if this gets worse, last year's Cy Young winner is going to be missing some time. Johnny Cueto, he's got right bicep tightness. He's also on the Marlins. He's going to throw a uh, an extended game on Tuesday. Hopefully he'll be back out there. 
He was always a fun guy to watch, kind of doing the nasty Nestor body movement before Nestor was doing it. Trevor Rogers, also from the Marlins. The Marlins are a little banged up as it is. He left the game in the fourth inning on the 19th, and he was put on the IL right afterwards. He's got a left bicep strain. I streamed him in fantasy that day, and I was very disappointed to see that he went down. Jacob deGrom, Ben's old friend, right wrist soreness. He left the game on Monday after four no-hit innings. He's expected to pitch Sunday's uh, finale versus Arizona, but deGrom's always hurt. That's a big reason why I think the Mets ended up letting him walk because the Mets, I think the Mets are going to end up winning that breakup, so to speak. The Mets, he didn't leave the Mets. The Mets let him go. Or at least that's the that's, way that's we not, to look at That's it. not true, Corey. As much as I wish to say it's true. Uh, Jacob Just DeGrom left. Jacob DeGrom left. The Mets did not even, he didn't give the Mets a chance to match. And Steve Cohen was very upset because he told his agent, do not let the Mets match. I want to leave. So as much as I would like to say the Mets let him go, unfortunately, we did not. Well, you can always paint your own truth that way to make yourself sleep a little easier. But DeGrom hurt again. Now for the Yankees, a couple guys, Carlos Rodon has had his back issues. He just had a clean CT scan, but he shut down from throwing temporarily. Should be able to throw later this week, hopefully. Still do back for maybe a mid-May uh, season debut with the Yankees. But if these keep persisting, he might be like a $165 million question mark. Big issue coming for them because we've had the Yankees in their free agent signings especially with pitching, not really work out. Even, even dating back to guys like Carl Pavano, the Yankees have had issues with free agent starters not really panning out outside of Garrett Cole, really. Uh, Josh Donaldson's got a grade one uh, plus hammy strain in his right hamstring. He's kind of shut down from uh, competing. He's going to be a few weeks off now. Not really the worst news in the world because, I don't know, as a Yankee fan, I don't want him back. I like the lineup we're running out more without him. I think we're better off without him. So maybe uh, maybe he takes this as a, a step towards early retirement. But also uh, early Cy Young favorite, Jeffrey Springs of the Tampa Bay Rays. He's getting TJ some Tommy John surgery. Sad to see his season end like that after the hot start he had. But the Rays have a cloning facility or something, and I'm sure they'll bring up another guy that throws just as well as him to kind of take over and compete. But this will bring us to studs and duds. John, who is your stud this week and who's your dud? My stud this week is Alex Verdugo. He last seven games, he's had 10 hits, two home runs, four RBIs and a stolen base. And has been bad in 370. He's just, just hitting the ball everywhere. My dud is Taylor Ward. Last seven games, he's just been abysmal. He three hits, two RBIs, he's bad at 136. He's just not playing good at all. He was doing good like the week before, but this week he's just been absolutely terrible. What about you, Ben? Who's your stud and who's your dud? So as a Met fan this past week, I'm torn. So I'm going with two guys for my stud. I'm sorry I'm breaking the rules. Brandon Nimmo, the guy has been unbelievable this year, and this past week has been no exception. 
15 for 31, 11 singles, four extra base hits, including two home runs, only four RBIs, but that's because he's the leadoff hitter who sets the table for the big bats. And my other stud, and that's Polar Bear Pete Alonso, leads the major leagues in home runs. He's the first one to reach 10. This past week, he went nine for 30, but he had three more home runs, 10 RBIs, two walks to go right along with it. The polar bear is in the MVP conversation, and he has been spectacular this season as well as this week. My dud this week is going to be Kyle Freeland. Kyle Freeland had a rough week, eight and two-third innings, took two losses, allowed 13 hits over those eight and two-third innings, 11 earned runs, two walks, and only seven strikeouts. Freeland's a guy who's been solid to start the season for Colorado, but a rough week this week. For me, my stud, James Outman, rookie outfielder from the Dodgers, 10 of 27 this week, hitting 370. Five runs, four home runs, and nine RBIs, nine strikeouts, plus a big grand slam. Just a really good player, uh, kind of leading the uh, the betting odds for Rookie of the Year in the National League, surprisingly. I don't think anybody had him in that race. It was really a lot of Corbin Carroll, Francisco Alvarez, players like that. Nobody had James Outman really giving him a chance, and now he's uh, leading the betting rights for that. My dud, former Yankee Luis Sessa. Now with Cincinnati, he went seven and two-thirds innings pitched. He's 0-2 this week. He gave up 20 hits, 13 earned runs, three walks, four strikeouts. This week, he's pitched to a 16-25 ERA. Just an abysmal, abysmal, abysmal performance out of him. And uh, I kind of feel bad for the Reds on that. They're trying so hard. And... When you have an outing like that, when you have somebody not even giving you a chance to win, it really just makes things so much worse. Now let's get on to our MLB power rankings this week. This was week four of the MLB season. The Outsider Sports, live on Outsidersports.net, has our top 10 rankings out. The way those stand, one through 10. Tampa Bay was perfect straight across as the number one seed. Atlanta perfect as the number two. The Yankees are three, Mets four, Milwaukee five, the Rangers six, Blue Jays seven, Minnesota eight, Dodgers nine, Baltimore at 10, with Pittsburgh, the Cubs, Astros, Diamondbacks, and the Padres all receiving votes. Now, Ben, your Mets had had a pretty solid road trip. Why don't you talk a little bit, a little about that and how they're kind of, uh, you know, superseding expectations, really. I know a lot of people wanted them to go slightly above 500, and that would have been a win. But they're doing a lot more than that. And also, I want you to talk about why the Cubs fell off of your top 10 rankings this week, even though you had them there last week. Yeah, Corey. Uh, first, I'll start with the Cubs. And it's week to week, and I just thought there were 10 teams that were better than them this week. I think that the big thing with the Cubs, they've been good. They have been great, and there's a lot of parity in the league. So really, outside of the top two teams, I think that those other eight spots can be interchanged between about 13 different teams, depending on how their weeks go. Now, in terms of the New York Mets, I had them all the way up to number three. I've been very low on them since the DS injury, but I put them all the way up this year because I haven't seen another team break out like them. This has been a great road trip. I know that 
Oakland isn't great, but they took care of business in Oakland, swept them, took two out of three in Los Angeles from the Dodgers. I know they haven't been playing great, but that's still impressive. And so far, they've taken two out of three. The fourth game of that series in San Francisco is tonight. So we'll see what the Mets are able to do there in terms of finishing that out. But you look at the standings. There aren't many teams in the league right now that have reached the 14-win mark. You have the Atlanta Braves, who are currently a half game ahead of the Mets at 14-7. and seven. The Mets are 14-8. and eight. The Milwaukee Brewers, who are 15-6. and six. The Tampa Bay Rays, who are 18-3. and three. Not another team in the American League has reached 14 wins yet. The New York Mets are the other team. So I have them currently at the number three spot. I think they're playing some really good baseball. And hey, again, I said it before in the studs and duds. Polar Bear MVP. Now, John, for you, you have San Diego still in your top 10. You're the lone San Diego supporter. What are they showing that having you keep them as a top 10 team? And also, what's the deal with the Phillies? I know you're, I know you're a big Philly guy, but they kind of seem to not be the same team that was just in the World Series. What's up with them? Well, first, I'll talk about having the Padres still ranked. I have them as my number 10. I'm just not quite ready to bump them out of the top 10 just yet. I still think they're a good team. I mean, they've had a rough stretch of game this past week playing some playing some good teams in the Brewers and the Braves. Lost a couple of close ones, won a couple of close ones, got blown out a few. But I still think overall they're a good team. And I think with I think because Tatis is coming back, I think they just sneak in at 10 for me still. Now for the Phillies, I'm not really sure what's going on this year. It just seems like their their hitting's not there, their pitching's not there. They're they're leaving like an average of seven runners on base per game. They just seem to can't get going this season yet. Their bats seem to be starting to pick it up right now. They just beat the Rockies 9-3. to three. So they're starting to hit again, but their starting pitching is just still not there. They they don't seem they have an ace. It seems like Wheeler and Nola just can't get going this season. And when like they have a few good games, but they break down so early. And I'm not sure if it's just, you know, trouble getting started this season or if it's something to do with the pitch clock and they're not and they're having trouble getting used to it. But the bullpen's starting to do better. I think the Phillies are going to start turning around again, but I'm starting to get a little concerned. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I kind of want to bring up the Yankees a little bit. They haven't lost a series yet. They're the only team to not have lost one, although that probably seems to change this series against the Blue Jays. Blue Jays, as we record this, are currently up 3 nothing on the Yankees. Clark Schmidt just taken out of the game. Just a just a rough day at the office for them. But I struggled with my top 10 this week. The team I want to talk about outside of the Yankees is the Diamondbacks, and I'm going to start with them. The D-backs are leading the West. Who would have thought that, even though we're a month into the season, more or less? The Diamondbacks aren't a team that was expected to be any good. They're expected to be okay towards the bottom of okay and decent. Not quite on Baltimore's level from last year, but a team that's improving. And while it's close with the Dodgers breathing on their neck, they're still leading that division. And I'm just intrigued to see how long that lasts because sometimes teams like that, they might be able to carry this on a little bit. Maybe they propel this into a wild card berth down the line. I don't think they'll be able to keep it up completely, but the confidence will build and go somewhere. And right now, I think they're one of the top 10 best teams in baseball. I also want to bring up the Yankees. The Yankees, as I said just before, haven't lost a series. 
but they just don't seem to be playing all around great baseball. They can't win the first game of a series, it seems, for their life. They're able to play better in the back half of the series, but there's just something off about them. They're not dominating. They're not the team that we thought they would be coming into the season. And I know they're hurt. They're very, very hurt. But the young guys seem to be playing well, which is always a positive. Volpe seems to have found his stride as the leadoff hitter. Cabrera and Peraza, their defense has been very solid. I'm excited to see where they, all three of them build up from there, but Judge has been cold. Torres has been cold. Rizzo has been okay. LeMahieu has been cold. A lot of the guys you rely on, especially Judge, who the Yankees don't seem to win games when Judge has no offense, it's concerning. I struggled to, to put them at five on my list. I wanted to put teams like Toronto and Minnesota and maybe even the Rangers ahead of them. I thought against it this week, but if the Yankees don't start turning it around and playing more dominant ball, they're going to start falling quickly for me. But I do want to also ask, who are some teams that kind of just missed for you on your top 10 list? And also for both of you, it seems to be Tampa and the Braves as the top two for everybody. Is there a big gap between those two? And also, is there a big gap between numbers two and three on your list? Because it seems like everybody's in the same thinking, but what are the gaps that exist between the top two and then also numbers one and two in the rest of the league? Yeah, I think that the Diamondbacks were certainly a team that was on the bubble for me. Another team that I thought was on the bubble that I didn't put in was the Texas Rangers. They're 13-7. and seven. I know the DeGrom injury hurts, but their run differential is a plus 57. That is really good. Believe it or not, that's good enough for second in baseball right now. The Texas Rangers have been a strong ball club. I've been very pleasantly surprised with the Orioles. We all expected them to compete, but we thought maybe a step back this year. They've been really good. Again, we talked about the Cubs. They were a bubble team for me as well, but the really big one I want to jump on, like the Diamondbacks or the Miami Marlins. They're 12-9, and and while their run differential isn't very impressive, they've been really good in their last 10 games, going 8-2. and And really, a stretch like that for a young team like this is important. They've got some good pitchers. I know the Alcantara injury is going to hurt, but the offense is alive, and bringing in a bat like Luis Arias might have been something that they really needed to do. I know Dylan talked about it last week, but that Pablo Lopez-Arias trade might really be just truly a beneficial trade for both teams so i think some of the teams that just missed out in the top 10 for me that i'm keeping an eye on for next week are like the orioles the pirates the cubs and the rangers like they're all playing really great baseball they're all doing their the, especially the pirates pirates are playing like out of their mind lately but i just think the other teams that are there are just just a little bit better if not just just a better team than those teams are so I kind of left them off. They might make it in next, depending on how they how they you know play this week. So I'll have to see if any of them you know break in the top ten next week for me. Now you were talking about like the kind of like the the gap between you know the one, two, and three. I don't. I think for me like the the Rays and the Braves are probably pretty close for me. I don't think there's too much of a gap there for me. But the Rays are definitely better than the Braves in my opinion. And I think when you go down between two and three, I think there's a little bit of a bigger gap, but not too much because the Brewers are still good. But I think after three, you start to get the gap starts to get bigger and bigger for me. 
And it almost gets to the point where, you know, it's almost becomes like a tie for, for rankings. And I almost want to put like the same teams for the same ranking. Cause it gets like, the more it goes down, like I think the closer the teams get, and it's almost at like four to 10 or almost, almost all up for grabs for me. What about you, Ben? Who, how do you feel about the difference between one and two and then also one, two in the rest of the league? Yeah, I think that Tampa Bay right now has themselves just separated and clearly at the top. And while I think Atlanta is clearly the number two, I don't think there's as big of a gap at the moment between Atlanta and the New York Mets. I think it's important to look at Atlanta, though. They've had a stronger start than they have in years past, but they've always been a team that's been better as the season goes on. So you can't really judge Atlanta in April. You can't. It's just the way it is. I think to say that the Mets right now look like they're on par with Atlanta would be right, but we'll see. We have to revisit it come June because that's when Atlanta really turns things on. Now, Tampa Bay, they're really good at home, but is that because of their home field advantage or just a coincidence? I think more of a coincidence. They're just a really good, well-managed team. The rest of the league, there's a lot of parity. I don't think there's as big of a gap between two, three, and four as it may appear. But beyond that, I think there is a pretty steep drop-off. Now, this upcoming week has a couple good series. Let's get to talking about that. The weekly series highlight That'll cover games from 424 all the way through May 1st. John, what's a series that you like this week that people should kind of keep an eye out for? Because we're getting to the meat of the season, really month two, and we're kind of knowing what teams are what and kind of how they're playing now. So what really stands out to you? The one series that stands out for me this week is the Dodgers at the Pirates starting uh, Tuesday. Like Dodgers have been struggling, struggling a little bit the past week. But the Pirates have been just playing out of their mind. Great baseball. Like right now, they're on a, a six-game win streak, possibly seven if they win later on today. So I think that'll be a great series to see if the Pirates can, you know, win the series against the Dodgers and to see if the Dodgers can kind of bounce back, you know, and take the series against the Pirates. What about you, Ben? What What stands out to you this week? Well, this weekend coming up, we're going to have a World Series rematch. And I know that both of these teams aren't in our top 10 power rankings at the moment. But I'll tell you what, the Houston Astros and Philadelphia Phillies, I'm sure the Phillies are going to have a statement to make in that weekend. And both these teams are starting to put some things together as well. You know, you oftentimes see when you play baseball deep into October and into November, you'll see them kind of have that hangover. Maybe that's the case for both of these teams, but I think we'll see a really strong series this weekend between the Phillies and Astros. For me, a series that really stands out is Seattle at Toronto. Two teams that had World Series aspirations. People were really high on them, and they really haven't met those expectations early. The Blue Jays, as we sit now, are one game out of last place in the AL East. Now, the AL East has been very good, but only one, one and a half games separate Toronto and Boston. Toronto at 12 and nine, Boston at 11 and 11. But they're a good team. And it's interesting to see how they're going to face off against Seattle, who they're 10 and 11. But they also had World Series aspirations. People expected them to be much better than they've been playing. And obviously, there's other extenuating circumstances that go into it. But this is a really a premier matchup. It's something we might see in the playoffs. That's going to do it for us, though. Keep checking us out. Outsidersports.net. 
Some great articles covering a lot of great sports. The Twitter, Outsider Sports 3. Search us up, Outsider Sports, on the YouTube and the TikTok. But that'll do it. Corey Jason, Ben Mandel, and John Pauline. We'll see you next time.